We're going to talk today about living in the light of grace. Now, two weeks ago, we spoke in the forms of God's completing grace in our lives, and, and we had a, a, an interesting discussion about grace and how grace has multiple facets and multiple forms and how it begins at the moment of salvation, really how it began in the Garden of Eden, where God's first show of his mercy and his grace came to Adam and Eve because he gave them a second chance. Even though they made a big problem, they, they made a big mistake in following the enemy's plan that God didn't give up on them. And, and that tells us that God's not giving up on us either because we've all made mistakes and we continue to make mistakes. But God's grace began then and it goes through multiple steps of progression in our life. We, we talked about the progressive nature of grace, how, it, how we have, first of all have the grace of forgiveness, meaning that we're saved by grace. Grace alone through the faith of Jesus Christ, not by our works. Nothing that we've done earns us a position with Christ other than the fact that we've accepted Jesus and we've accepted the blood of his sacrifice that covers our sin and makes our sin white as snow. And then it moves into a grace of acceptance and enablement where we're accepted as sons and daughters into the family of God. We are no longer enemies of God. We are changed from a creation to a child of God through enablement and acceptance of God's grace. That God accepts us now as a child. Before, while we were living in the world, we were enemies of the cross. I don't care how good you were or good you are, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you are an enemy of the cross. There is no friendship here. There is no middle ground between being a bad guy, a good guy, and a saved guy. No, you're either a bad guy or a saved guy. There is no middle ground here of friendship with God. Friendship comes to relationship through Jesus Christ, and now you become a child of the Lord, a child of the Most High, and you move from an enemy to a child. So that's the grace of acceptance and enablement. And then we move into a grace of completion, a completing grace in us that does a change in our character, that does a change in our heart so that we no longer want to live as close to the world as we can and still be a Christian. No, God changes my character. He changes me through his completing grace so that I am now a true child of God, meaning I want to live as close to Jesus as I can, and I don't want to even play with the worldly temptations. As soon as a world temptation comes my way, I run from it because I recognize who and what it is. That is the grace of completion, and that's where so many times that the, um, the uh, what's the right word, the intellectual church of our society today the New Age church of our society today says that, no, we live in an era of grace, meaning that I can, in their opinion, live any way I want to live and God will forgive me. That in many ways is a trampling of God's grace because that's an insulting nature of grace because it says I can continue to repeat my sins and God, you have to forgive me because we live in an era of grace. And we're putting God to the test in that regard because we're saying, God, I can do what I want to do. And because Jesus died for my sins, I'm going to keep asking you to forgive me even though I'm preempting or I am premeditating this sin and I'm going to do it over and over again and I'm going to keep coming to you for forgiveness. And we're testing God's grace. That's a dangerous place to be. Jesus didn't even tempt his father. Jesus didn't know. He knew what it was not to tempt him. But when the devil came to him and said, throw yourself down, he says, thou shalt not tempt thy Lord thy God. 
Do you think God would have allowed Jesus to die? But Jesus didn't go there. He didn't even go to that stupid place of questioning because he knew that it wasn't right for him to tempt the Lord, his God. Therefore, I should not tempt the Lord, my God, either by testing this area of grace. What I should do is allow grace to complete me, to make a complete change in me that I don't want to play with the things of this world. I don't want to play with alcoholic uh, or drugs or pornography or bad movies or bad books or any of the things that would want to take me away from the trueness of God. I would want to run so far away from that that I'm into the character of God. And that basically says that we are now being changed into a new creation where we're taking on the yoke of Christ, which is lighter and easier than the yoke of sin. You see how important that is? See, we think that the taking on the yoke of God is hard. No, it's not hard. Taking on the yoke of Christ is the easier path. Because when I want to play with sin, all of a sudden now I have things that come upon me from my own doing, my own consequences that come, and that's a heavy yoke. But when I have the freedom that Bonnie has, by the freedom of obedience, the freedom of living as close to Jesus as I can and getting my life straight, that I live for Jesus for the right reasons, all of a sudden I take on the yoke of Christ and he says that that yoke is easy and it's light and it's freedom. That's the yoke of completing grace. And that's all leading us into a lifestyle that wants to please Christ not push his buttons. <laughs> you know, we all know people well enough that we can push each other's buttons. We know how we can get to somebody and kind of push their buttons and kind of bug them a little bit, you know. Well, maybe that's fun sometimes. But, you know, it's not fun pushing Jesus' buttons. Let's just please him. Let's just live a life. And that's, that's the purpose of this message today is how do we do this? That week, we asked the question, what does grace mean to you? Do you remember that? We asked the question, what does grace mean to you? If someone says grace, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? And we had a few answers. And a couple of the answers that were given that I think are powerful today is that two answers were given. One was power to overcome and the power to do God's will. Power to overcome and the power to do God's will. And then we talked uh, a couple Wednesday nights ago. And by the way, we're having a great Bible study on Wednesday nights. We're in the book of Philippians. And we're talking about Christ's righteousness through, through the book of Philippians. And in that night, two nights ago, two Wednesdays ago, we spoke in detail of the fact that Paul tells us in Philippians that our righteousness is in Christ. Our righteousness is in Christ, not in ourselves. It's not about how good I can live. It's not about how I can do anything for God that would earn my righteousness. No, my righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. That helps us identify where our strength comes from. And it's a, it's a very freeing message, especially to people that have a problem with self-worth or have a problem with anxiety about never being good enough. Because I'll tell you right now, we're not good enough. We're not good enough in our own right to be righteous in the sight of God. So it's best that we stop trying that to be righteous and we just allow the power of Jesus to come in and give us the righteousness of who he is in our life. 
Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, he says, what is more, what is more, Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That righteousness, when we can understand that the righteousness that we have does not come from my ability to live a good life, that my righteousness comes through faith, that gives me an identity. It gives me my identity in Christ that is something that I can't question on my own right because it's not about me being good enough anymore. So let's get that figured out. Let's understand that we are saved by grace with the completing power of grace to change our very nature so that our righteousness that comes from God is through Jesus only, faith in Christ, not of our own doing, so that we truly take on the righteousness of Christ in our life. It's his redemptive work on the cross that gives me my identity in Christ. So when I understand that, now I move to the second step of my Christianity. I understand that my identity in Christ is not about me being good enough to earn God's favor. That's a problem because, see, I grew up in a legalistic church, as anyone else did that grew up in the Assemblies of God or the Church of God or some of these other Pentecostal churches. We grew up being legalistic. When people would ask me, well, what do you believe in? I believe I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't go to dances, I don't go to movies, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do that. And when I don't do things, I'm saved. Well, that's not true at all. Don't doing anything doesn't make me saved. Okay? So let's, let's put away the legalistic avenues, but let's not put away the don'ts. Okay? Let's, let's understand now my identity in Christ gives me the freedom to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, but not as a way to earn my way with the Lord. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4. I got a few verses here, so you might want to open your Bible. If you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4 because we're going to stay here for a while and we're going to read quite a few verses. And you can either read it on the up overhead or you can read it in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. Paul says to the Ephesian church, he says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, let me pause here for a second. This word being is a, is a present tense. It is an action word. I am being corrupted. I am continuously being corrupted in my deceitful desires. You see the, the progressive nature of deceit? The progressive nature of deception is that I am continuing to get worse and worse and worse. I am continuing to get corrupted. 
in a, a being opposed to Ephesians chapter 1, verse, 20, or verse 17, where it says that Paul is asking in, in the first chapter of Ephesians, he says, keep, I, I keep on asking, again, I keep on asking, that the, the present tense or the action word of asking, I keep on asking that the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, our, our glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. There's a progressive nature of knowing Christ better. See, we don't know Christ at the moment of salvation and know all there is to know about God. We don't have that once saved, always saved thing. Once I'm saved, there's nothing more for me to learn. No, Paul is, I'm asking, I'm continuing to ask that you will know Christ better. All the verses being corrupted more. You see the difference? The devil will take you and he will corrupt you through deception more and more and more. Whereas Jesus is saying, no, I want to lead you into knowing Christ more and more and more. It's a path. You're either going to go down this path or that path, but you're not going to stay stagnant very long. You can't say, well, I'm okay just the way I am. I don't need church. I don't need Sunday school. I don't need Bible study. I don't need prayer. I don't need to read my Bible by myself. I'm okay where I'm at. I've got all I need, and I'm going to stay here forever. No, that's not what the Bible says at all. You're either progressing, you're either getting to know Christ better, or you're being more corrupted by your own desires of deception. So one way or the other. So the, the, the question that we all have is, which path am I on? Am I continuing to get better or am I continuing to get worse? That's the question. Okay, now he goes on to say, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put, off, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for while we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while, while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with, his own, with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And then he goes on, Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others in according, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's a lot to think about. Let's pray for a minute. And let's ask the Lord to help us with that much. Father... We just come now and we pause and we just say, Lord, would you open up our hearts and would you open up our minds? Lord, let us see what truly you want to share to us today. Let us hear your voice. Let us dig into your word this morning that you would truly open up our hearts so we would see what you want us to know. And God, help us to put away anything that would be false. Help us to put away our own perceptions of things that may be keeping us and may be holding us back. So God, open up our hearts now and let us hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be speaking today on what fills the daily life of a Christian that's saved by the grace of God. What fills the life of a person on a daily basis? With grace comes a responsibility 
that every person should live in the power of the abiding grace, that grace that just continues on with us. It keeps leading us closer to Christ. There's a responsibility with that. Am I going to do that? Am I going to allow that? So after I have my identity in Christ, established clearly by the righteousness of Christ, not by my own works, now I look at works as to what they really are. See, when we go back to the scripture we started off with, we're talking about how, they, that, the, the, how to, that we are to no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking, that they are, they are a darkened and an understand, or ignorant people. When we look at the state or the status of human nature today all around us, it is in a continual decline. It is in a a continual state of decline unto death. There is nothing that's going to turn this around on its own. If something's dead, then on its own volition, it's never going to get better. It's only going to continue to decay. If something's dead, there is no life. There is nothing there that's going to make it better. It's going to continue to decay. It's going to uh, have an odor about it, and it's just going to eventually turn to dust and it's just going to decay into its natural state. Likewise, our world, our world we're living in right now is in an ungenerative state as well, and the fall of the original sin is that it is dead. When Adam and Eve took that bite, they brought death spiritually into their lives, which means that each person, each man and woman today born, you're dead. You are dead spiritually because of what happened then in the garden. And the only way that that spirit is brought to life is through the power of Jesus. That's the only way that's resurrected is through the power of Jesus. Otherwise, even in your morality and your goodness, you might be really, really good, but you're really, really dead. You're you're not alive because you're really good. You're still dead until Jesus comes in and brings that resurrection life into your heart. This world is never going to get better on its own, no matter what the New Age thinkers think. No matter what these religions are that we are um, going to eventually merge into a state of utopia, that this world is going to get better on its own, it's not going to happen. We are in a state of decline because we are in a a sinful, broken generation, and it's only going to get worse. Now, I'm not saying that to make you sad. I'm not saying that to bring fear in anybody's life at all. I'm just saying it because it's the truth. And when we recognize the truth, we can figure out maybe more what we need to do to change our status in a broken world. And that's the point of this message, to change our status. Paul tells us how to do this. If we go to verse 17 and 19 that we just read, he, he gives us a good insight on what is happening in regards to our personal sin nature and the nature of the world. He says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must... No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, that's a really strong statement. Paul says, so I tell you this. He says, I'm not suggesting this to you, and I'm not suggesting on it in the Lord that you maybe, uh, maybe you shouldn't live anymore like the Gentiles do. No, what is he saying? What are the words he's using? He's saying, so I tell you this, and not only do I tell you that, I insist on it. (laughs) I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And so on. 
It just is not good. This passage of Scripture gives a simple yet firm instruction on how we are to live our life. In the light of the declining condition of the world, Paul says that we are to not live like the world, that we are not to um, be relevant as the world is relevant in our society today. We have, a, we have a real move in the Christian nature that we are to dumb down the scriptures to be relevant to our society today. We have a real move that we should soften God's word because we don't want to offend people, that we don't want to let people think that they're living wrongly when they are living wrongly. We are dumbing it down to make it comfortable for everybody to accept. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God when God says, Mike, who are you to dumb my word down? You and I are going to stand accountable for every word we speak to the people that we live in, that generation that we're a part. And if we begin to compromise thinking that we're helping them by changing God's truth a little bit to make it easier, we're not helping them. Nor are you helping yourself. Paul's not judging people here. This is a, but a very clear directive that, that we who are living in the light of Christ's grace that we must have a different lifestyle so that it's proof to the world that there is a better way to live. Not so we can be better than them. Not that we can judge them. Not that we can be holier than thou. No, we're just living according to God's word because we're just abiding by it. We're, just, uh, we're allowing God's completing grace to change our character, to change our nature. But there is no suggestion of compromise here at all that we are to compromise with the worldly system so that we can become more acceptable to the worldly system. Jesus had a really interesting way about him that he could live in the world and not be of the world. He could eat with Matthew and the publicans and the sinners but not get dirty from them. He didn't have to come into their world to be like them to get their attention. He came into the world and his light shone brightly in the midst of the darkness of their world. And that's the call that we have, that when we go into the generations that we deal with at school or at work or wherever we're at, yeah, we're to rub shoulders with people that don't know Jesus. We're not to avoid them. We're to welcome relationship with them. But we're not to become like them in order to win them. Because when I do, all of a sudden, my light gets dimmer. And how can a dim light give much direction? No, I need to stand with a bright light for Christ, not in a judgmental way, but in a loving way. I need to be who I am, and I need to be resolved that no one is going to change my mind over some of these things. I am going to be, I know who my identity is in Christ because I know he's my righteousness. I know that. And so now I live my life in a dark world as a bright light. And I'm not, I'm not trying to push my faith in them. I'm just a bright light so that they know where to come to when they have a problem. That I know, that they know that, hey, when I have a problem, I'm going to go see that man because there's something different about that man or that woman or that child or that girl or that boy. I know there's something different about him and I want to find out what it is. That's like a mosquito light. You know those lights that, that you put up to attract mosquitoes and they come and they get zapped? Okay, that's what we are. We're mosquito lights and we're zapping them. As they come in, we're zapping the sin out of them. They come in so close, they want to know what that is. Well, that's the power of Christ. And when they get so close to that light, that what happens? Boom! The sin goes because they get zapped. 
But there's no suggestion of compromise. There's no suggestion of compromise when it was Satan because here's the fact of the matter is the light of truth, the light of truth never comes out of a root of darkness. Light never comes out of darkness. Do you understand that? You can't get so dark that eventually you're going to get light. No, darkness and light don't generate each other. Light comes from light. Darkness makes only darkness. You can't get any more light. So don't expect it to, and don't be surprised when the world around us starts spinning wildly more out of control because it's going to. It's going to. The devil has a strategy. His strategy works a couple different areas here in this, in this darkening world that we live in. He, he effectively deceives people into thinking one of two things. Either that we can live a life of compromise to the Lord, that we can live a life that we want to live, even though maybe God doesn't approve of it, but yet God, because God loves us so much, that God will still bless us, that we're different, that God, those rules are for somebody else. That, you know what, God loves me enough and I'm such a special guy that, you know, I can live in this little gray area over here. I can push God's buttons over here a little bit, a little bit over here. But he's really never going to judge me on that because I just have the special position in God's favor. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that that may be the case? Well, that's the enemy's play into us because he will give us that narcissistic attitude. He will give us that narcissistic way of looking at things like, I'm a little different than everybody else. Thus, people live in, an igno- in, a, in a life of ignorance and, and thinking that it's okay. And, and that, that sometimes that he'll take the, and I've seen this more and more recently, that the Bible isn't really relevant anymore. Hey, that's a book 2,000 years old. Come on, we're living in 2015. And there is a relevance now that changes the word a little bit. I've seen this with some, especially some areas that are on a lifestyle that is um, same-sex marriages, homosexuality. Uh, You see it prevalent there. They're they're saying that, you know what, Uh, God's word just isn't relevant. And and we are in an enlightened generation, and we need to move, and we need to change some of the perspectives here because, you know, God, would, God just loves us all, and I've seen it, and you've seen it as well. And that is a, a, an effective strategy of the devil to bring deception in thinking that somehow time changes God's word. Somehow 2,000 years changes God's word into thinking that it's not as relevant as it used to be. That's one way. Or the other thing that, God, that Satan will do is that he will convince people that they don't need God at all, that they'll just make up their own form of reality. And that's another a way that the enemy gets in and uh, convinces people they are their own free moral agents. And as long as you're not hurting anybody else, they can live their life any way they want to. Well, that's the way. That's what Paul was talking about is don't live like the way the Gentiles are living anymore, that we, are, we have to put on a new look. And Isaiah chapter 5, chapter 20, or verse 20 tells us that God gives a, a very strict warning for those that would try to change God's relevance. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those people that do that. Woe to those people. The, great, the devil is a great deceiver, and his ability to spin reality is amazing. He is really, really good at that. That is his major strategy is lying, and he's really good at it. And he will do that in our hearts and lives as much 
as he can. So we need to stop listening to that kind of logic and start reading and studying God's word for what it really says. And when we do that, it brings a yoke of Christ, which is lighter than the yoke of sin. And we start living that way. And that in any way, and keep, keep in mind now, I'm, I'm continuing to go down the path here that we are already righteous in Christ. We're not doing this to declare our righteousness. Understand that because so many times we can fall into that trap of, well, I'm not good enough anymore, so I have to be better to be, to be accepted by Christ. I'm not saying that. That's not what this is saying. This is saying that after I have my relationship established with Christ, now I'm living my life with my identity established as righteous, a holy man and a holy woman. And that's how we do that. So how do we do this? We continue to read on in this. And so in, in verse 20 of our text, it says that, that however, our way of life that we've learned, what is that way that we've learned? We learned that when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted. So we're moving from that point, and we are now moving into living in a light of Christianity that makes us different than the world. We're living a Christ-centered life, which is living more in the do's than in the don'ts. We live more in the do's than in the don'ts. And this is important because if I don't actively fill up my life with the positive, then the negatives are going to come back really important to know that, that I have to make sure that I'm filling my life up with the positive of God's word so that the negatives don't overcome me again. Matthew chapter 12 tells us about that in verse 43. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So when Christ, when we have our righteousness established through Christ, now, Christian brother and sister, this is when we have to be focusing on filling our life with the positive of God's word. I've got to be filling up this clean void, because otherwise I've just done some spring cleaning for the devil. And he's going to come back a little bit later and say, oh, there's a new clean house I can re-inhabit. He just cleaned it up for me so I can come in and make it even dirtier. And that's exactly what happens if we don't start living in the do's of God's word. Now, what are some of the do's? What are some of the do's? We need to be, we need to be um, in verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, we are to be putting on, Paul uses the, the, the word picture like a garment, that we are to be putting on the new self. Take off the old self. Take off the self that is not pleasing to the Lord. Take off the, the lying and the deception. Take that off and put on the new self. Put on the new garment. And how do we do this? Well, let's, keep, let's go back to our text, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we, all, we are all members of one body. We are to put off falsehood. That means that we're to stop lying, period. Stop lying in any way, shape, or form. Lying does not have to be a bold-faced lie. Lying can be in any form of deceitfulness, in any way of misdirection of the truth, or anything that makes life a little bit easier to swallow. 
we can lie, we can be misleading in our desire to win, for, win those for Christ. That seems kind of hard to think about, but you know, but Jesus says count the cost. Count the cost. He wanted to make sure that people didn't start down the path of Christianity only to be deceived later because they weren't told the whole truth. We sometimes can tell people that if you get saved, life's going to be good. All your problems are going to go away. Everything's going to be peaceful in your life. Well, how many here know that's not true? Yeah. So if I was to tell somebody that, hey, once you're saved, life is good, and the first time they have a problem come along, what are they going to think? They aren't saved. And that you're a liar. Because you said it was going to be good, and it's not good. So we can be in our good intentions. We can be speaking falsehoods to our brothers and sisters in Christ or our, those that we're trying to save because we're not telling them the whole truth. The whole truth is, guys, living for Jesus is everything in your life. It's a free gift, but it costs you everything you are. You can't earn it on yourself. It's a free gift of righteousness from Christ alone. But once you have it, it costs everything you have. You cannot then live half-hearted in it anymore. You receive it when you give it all to Christ. That's the completing nature of grace. When I give it all to Christ, he, through his completing nature of Christ, changes me so that I am no longer wanting to live close to the world. So I'm no longer living in falsehoods. I speak truth, truthfully to my neighbor. You know, I love it when I get close to men that I trust. Man, I'm, I'm getting to know Michael and more and more. I know we can go have lunch together, and there are no limitations in our conversation. I love that because if he sees something in me that he's questioning, I can receive that because I know he's, I trust him. I trust his agenda, and he trusts mine. And men sharpen men as iron sharpens iron, and women sharpen women as, well, I'm not sure if iron or that applies to women or not, but it applies to men for sure. But clearly, as we get into a fellowship with a believer that we trust, we speak truthfully into their life, we're not worried about risking an offense because they know our agenda is pure because we want to be righteous in Christ with them. Isn't that freeing to have that? Where the world will, you can't trust anybody in the world. You can't trust them because you think you're going to tell them something and they're going to turn around and gossip about you. It's going to come around and bite you. But not with a true friend, not with a true believer. That's righteousness in Christ. So put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. Now, here's a question. Can a person live a genuine life and not be perfect? Can a person live a genuine life and not be perfect? See, are we talking perfection here? Or are we talking a life of forgiveness? Kind of like that song we sang earlier, Forgiven. Yeah. No, genuineness is not perfection. It's not making my own self-righteousness now. It's not re-identifying myself as righteous and Mike now because I'm saved. Now I need to live a perfect life. No, I'm not going to live a perfect life. I am going to live a life marked with mistakes. But I learned through the completing grace of God's nature that when I sin, there comes that urgency to repent. 
that urgency to take care of that sin in my life and say, I'm going to go backwards now to go forward. I'm going to go back and clean this part of me up so I can get back on the road to righteousness and I can get back and live that way. So the quickest way forward then is to go backwards. We've talked about that a lot, to go backwards first, get that taken care of, then go forward on the path of righteousness again. That's what it is to be truthful. That's what it is to live a life of truthfulness in our hearts and our life. See, the word here um, that he uses for falsehood in the Greek is pseudos, meaning not genuine or counterfeit, or a person that living a pseudo-Christian life is a fake life. It's a, he's a poser. He looks good in front of people when he, when he needs to be, but when life is by himself, uh, he's a whole totally different person. We all know people like that. Maybe you've been that kind of a person. Maybe you are that kind of a person. Maybe you've been it. I've been that kind of a person, and I don't like that. And I don't want to be that kind of a person. And I want to be a person that's genuine before Christ. And then he says, the other, three, the other four things he says real quick, he says we are to, he's given us a warning against uncontrolled anger, that we're not to let the sun go down in our anger. We're not to give the devil a foothold in our anger. And that we're to stop stealing and we're to start working for what we want, not just to provide for myself, but so that I can make myself useful to others. Again, so I'm not just about me, it's about Christ and it's about others. That I'm to avoid obscene and worthless talk that ends up hurting people and the cause of Christ because I'm supposed to be promoting the cause of Christ. And when I say things that are wrong, when I say things that are, that are off color, when I'm saying an obscene talk, then I'm hurting the cause of Christ. And that we must forgive people as Christ forgave us. So there is some things here that truly are a different about a person that understands their identity in Christ, and then we need to live that way. Jackie, if you'd come and um, start playing, we'll close up here in a minute. But Paul gives us a, new, a number of, of positive things. If you read further on in Ephesians, in fact, I would encourage you to go home this week and read Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. But Paul gives us some good instructions about how to live in the new character in Ephesians 5. Number one, he says in the first verse of Ephesians 5, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So some of the positives we're to fill our life with is walk in love. Walk in love. Man, I tell you, that, that's worth about 15 sermons right there. You could talk a long time about what it means to walk in love. But walking in love is not walking um, as a doormat. Walking in love is not walking in a way to be taken advantage of. Walking in love is not walking in, in, in timidity and fear. Walking in love means I love somebody so much I'm going to tell them the truth. That's true love. That's true love with, a, with an agenda of Jesus, an agenda of I want Christ in my life and I, my, my eternity is focused on things of heaven. My eyes are focused up and when I look up, I see truth and that truth needs then be brought through me in an area of love that I can go to my brothers and sisters and I can say, gosh, I love you so much. I don't want to see bad things happen to you. And if I allow things to go unsaid that need to be said, because it's truth, because I'm afraid of you. See, our fear, we need to be more afraid of God than afraid of people. 
When my fear is so awesomely, reverentially fearful of God that I don't want to do anything to displease him, and I want him clearly to say, Mike, well done, thou good and faithful, that takes all fear of mankind away from me so that now I can walk with a clear agenda of love and speak truth. That's freedom. Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Have nothing to do with them, but rather expose them. Expose them by your light. When your light comes into a dark world, it can't help but expose the darkness, not because of your self-righteousness, but because of the light that shines in you through Jesus Christ. His righteousness shines through you, and it shines a path into a dark world, a path that I can continue to walk on and those that are close to me can walk on as well as I bring them in in my love in the truth of God's word. Then verse 15 of Ephesians 5, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we live in our identity of righteousness through Christ, we then live in an attitude of holiness, truth, love, and all goodness. And finally, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about, put your mind on the positive things of God's Word. Put your mind on what God wants you to do this day to help other people. Put your mind on the positive things of God's love and his mercy and his grace. And as I keep my mind focused on that, the devil doesn't have opportunity to come in and give me the temptations. And I am allowing the completing grace of Christ to completely change my character so that I am no longer living as the futile life of the Gentiles. I'm no longer living that life because my life is so infatuated and so indwelt with the power of God. Whatever you have or learned or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You want to talk about freedom? You want to know what freedom is? Living in the peace of God. Amen. You know, Bonnie, that, uh, Scott, I really appreciate your testimony because I think everybody sees a different appreciation for the dance. That's so freeing to see that. You know, if people come to you a little bit fanatical about Christ, don't look down at them. You know, we call a Green Bay Packer guy that will paint his face yellow and green and paint his belly and the whole thing. And, you know, he's out there crazy in zero-degree weathers, and we call him a fan. But we call Bonnie fanatical. But we call anybody else that wants to worship God with reckless abandon is fanatical. 
but yet anybody on a football field, he's a fan. You know what? We need to live, we need to worship, and we need to understand where we've come from. And when we recognize where we come from and where we're going, we'll get a little fanatical for Christ. We'll be that bright light in a dark world. And we'll be genuine with it. And we'll allow people to be people of God and we'll allow their identity to shine. And it'll, it'll impact all of us for the good. Would you just close your eyes with me this morning? And, and I just want to ask you this morning a couple questions. And, and, and I just want all of us to, to examine our life. And, and is that my prayer? Is that truly my prayer? Do I really want to be so focused on Christ that I don't care what people think about me? Do I really want to be that righteous in Christ? Not in myself. Not in myself because I can't do anything. But in Christ, I can do all things because his righteousness shines through me. Hmm. Oh, Father, we just come before you. And we just ask you, Lord Jesus, to do a little soul-searching in our hearts and lives this morning. Lord, would you just, through the power of the Holy Spirit, come in and just bring conviction where it's required, confirmation where it's needed, affirmation, Lord, where it's appropriate. But God, would you just clean us all from self-righteousness? Would we recognize that our identity is in you and you alone, in the work that you do for us, the work that you've done, the work that you've completed on the cross for us, so that we now can become better known by you and that we can better know you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through your completing grace in our hearts and our lives? Oh, you're so good. You're so good, Heavenly Father. We appreciate you so much. And we appreciate your truth. And we ask you to be faithful in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? And let's just sing the song that Jackie's playing. And let's just uh, take this minute and before we leave. And let's just worship the Lord one more time to give us one, one last charge of God's goodness before we go to this dark world. Amen. Let's pray. Let's sing the song. Amen. I will sing for you alone have rescued this life Jesus you have set me free you alone took away all sin and disgrace when you gave your life to ransom me I am forgiven at the foot of cross I am accepted by the power of your love my every stain is washed away I am forgiven here I stand in the light of your glory and grace where heaven's love and justice meet now i live for the one who has called me by name who is risen and alive in me 
Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have this morning as we go into our homes. And, Lord, I just pray that your forgiveness and your righteousness would shine through us this week. Lord, be glorified. Be glorified in us as we go into this place, as we go into our homes and our places of work this week. And I pray, Jesus, that we would build a kingdom stronger for you this week because of your righteousness in us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.